Welcome to our daily business podcast here at Business in Vancouver. It's called Coping with COVID-19. It's from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. We're adapting our workplaces considerably in the pandemic, of course, creating all kinds of new collaborations and identifying new ways to develop career paths with remote. One organization that I think is a very interesting one to study and seen its role augment is MyTax, which is the nonprofit national research organization based here. In Vancouver, it works with academia, businesses, and government as partnerships in a variety of programs to train graduate-level students as they launch their careers. John Hepburn is the CEO and the Chief Scientific Officer of MyTax. He joins me now to talk about this. Good to have you with us. Good to be here, Kirk. Uh, happy to talk about MyTax always. Yeah, it, not many places got to say that they uh, they got a real lift out of uh, the pandemic, but uh, you know the, the uh, federal government has identified MyTax as a very strategically important partner between government and business and the academy in all of this. Uh, what kind of, what kind of raise did you all get as a, you know, as an organization? Well, MyTax is funded, um, our largest single funder, of course, is the federal government. Um, they gave us a 50% increase in funding. That was the $40 million where we get significant funding from the federal government. Um, but we also get funding from all 10 provinces and most, but not all of the provinces also gave us a boost in our funding. So we got significantly more money this year than we had last year. And, and when you take a look at where that money goes or how it's applied, I, I, I would imagine that a lot of people watching our podcast are, are slightly unfamiliar with the, the, the way in which my tax allocates uh, the funds and applies it in terms of uh, developing these partnerships. Talk a little bit about the, the general nature of the partnerships and collaborations that are created here. Yeah, so so the primary, we are a research support organization, but the primary motivation of everything we do is to boost innovation in Canada. And we do this through internships, uh, student internships, and we're, by the way, branching out beyond graduate students and postdoctoral fellows into um, undergraduate students and even oh. college students. Okay. And we take a different approach than the standard one. Um, standard approach is what we call technology push where inventions get created at a post-secondary institution. And then you, you sort of find applications for them outside of, uh, outside of the university. We reverse that process. We have business development people, um, across the country, about 75 of them. And we're, you know, we're, kind of based in Vancouver. We have large offices in um, Montreal and Toronto and Ottawa as well. And the 75 business development people are spread across the country. They talk to industry or other organizations, find out what their problems are, and then try and match them with an academic researcher and uh, her or his students to come up with a partnership to address the problem that's been identified. And, and when it's a, a partnership in this case here, do the uh, students spend a certain amount of time um, in their in their academic settings and a certain amount of time in, in say an office setting? Is that the way? Yeah, it? yeah, absolutely. So, so in a in a typical partnership, it would be between an industry and uh, an academic laboratory, and the students would spend roughly half their time in each place. I mean, the idea is is not just to solve the um, the problem that industry may have but also to link the university researchers in the industry uh, and the industry needs. So we, we do want the students to spend time in both places. That's a requirement. 
so then uh, I suppose uh, everything turns itself back to COVID to discuss. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, so, so when you're dealing with so many people working remotely, what have been some of the more immediate impacts of, on, uh, on the MyTax work out there in, in the country? Well, obviously, I mean, for the MyTax staff, many of whom were used to working remotely anyways, the business development people, as I said, are spread around the country. But of course, obviously, all 230 of us suddenly, you know, from one day to the next, we all went home. And, uh, you know, you can see I'm working from what used to be my youngest son's bedroom. And, uh, you know, people are working from from home. Yeah. Um, For our interns, of course, many of them were doing laboratory research and a lot of labs shut down. I mean, labs immediately connected with with finding solutions to the health crisis were allowed to remain open as essential services. But, you know, we have interns working on all sorts of things. Um, We confirmed with the with the partners that uh, if it was possible to do the research and uh, do the innovation remotely, that that was perfectly fine with us. So mm-hmm. so some of the projects pivoted to more remote work and less lab work or no lab work. Um, some of the projects that that really heavily relied on lab work that was that was not considered essential to the COVID crisis, we allowed them to to have a gap to postpone part of the work, things like that. So we just made accommodations. Um, I'm happy to say that that virtually none of the ongoing projects were actually canceled um, as a result of the crisis. That was a big concern because, you know, companies don't have a lot of cash these days, as, as you know. Um, fortunately, with the federal government pumping money into companies, uh, we had actually most of our projects were maintained, perhaps on a, on a delayed basis. But uh, we actually found that the the projects were maintained. Can you already um, recognize some of the changes in the kinds of applications that are coming your way? Are they kind of, you know, pandemic related? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we launched before we got the notice of the $40 million uh, coming in from the federal government. We decided very early on, once we all went into lockdown, um, to launch a special call for um, COVID-19 uh, solutions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we ex- hope to get a few hundred applications in, you know, perhaps. Um, that has taken off like wildfire. And we were also able to offer a subsidy to small and medium enterprises. I mean, all of our programs are matching funds. Industry puts in typically half. And we put in half with our, with our taxpayer-supported funding. Um, we were able with small and medium enterprises to, to cut their contribution to 25% to help with their cash crunch. I see. Um, and we've had, I mean, the number keeps going up. We've had 1,300 uh, internships supported through this, this specific COVID-19 call. Yeah. Is it, uh, is it getting pretty fully subscribed? I mean, do you, do you actually have a, a pattern that you can uh, roll this out over a stretch of time? Or, or was this like this one shot coming from the federal government and the provinces almost immediately fully subscribed? It's not fully subscribed, but we're basically for the COVID-19 calls, COVID-19 specific call, there were a bunch of components to it. One of them was that we promised to, we peer review all of our projects to make sure that they're, you know, scientifically sound and that the company is good and that, you know, everybody involved is, is, is good. 
Um, these ones, we promised that we would do the review very quickly because it was a crisis. And so we wanted to get solutions uh, started immediately. We also put a time limit on it. So it was basically you could apply up to June 15th. And of course, we were a little bit elastic on the definition of the end date. You know, we didn't uh, completely close the shutters. But they basically that competition is closed. Um, then we have to evaluate how much money we have left. We, we've still got plenty of money, but we've got regular business that rolls in year round. We don't, we don't have set deadlines. So right now we're way above schedule, uh, partly because of this COVID-19 call and some other things we've done, but we, you know, we have to be careful not to, not to run out of money in uh, December sort of thing. So right now we're doing very well. Business is booming, but yeah. uh, as I say, there's a lot of, money being pumped into the system, including by us. And, and what, are you, what are you learning as an organization about some of the direction of even um, the kinds of projects that are being developed in this country all of a sudden? You know, what, what, is, what is the pandemic teaching my tax about uh, a little bit about the resilience of our, our scientific community, but secondly, more or less the, the, the piece of innovation that we seem to have? I think one of the things, and we've, we've seen this in a couple of cases, um, one of the things is the value of, of talent, in the, especially in these small and medium enterprises where they don't have a huge research capacity. Mm -hmm. um, so having these, these very, very bright students in there working has allowed them uh, to pivot in this, in this you know, crisis period to, to change what they're working on. Of course, a lot of companies have, have uh, developed uh, pandemic-related projects that they wouldn't have otherwise done. And some of that comes from the company itself, and some of it comes from the students who are working there saying, look, you know, why don't we just, based on their connections back to the university, based on just being very bright uh, young people, they make suggestions for things companies can do. And we've had a couple of companies basically pivot and create new products as a result of student suggestions, frankly. I, I like to learn um, at this stage in what all of us are going through about what some of the early anticipations were and whether they've been borne out, whether, you know, whether there are essentially there's a larger list of worries or fewer. Um, where do you come across on that one? Well, when we went, I remember when we went uh, into, you know, full pandemic lockdown, um, we started, you know, running town halls to reassure the staff. And, and, you know, at the first town hall, virtually all the questions from staff were, are there going to be layoffs? You know, are we, are we in deep financial trouble because our business is all going to go away? <clears throat> that quickly shifted, especially after the federal government um, trusted us with, with the extra funding and, and gave us a larger mandate. Uh, then, then, the, then the questions all shifted to, oh my God, there's so much work we're all going out of our minds working, you know, seven days a week, uh, 15 hours a day. We, we can't survive this. So we went from worrying about having no business to worrying about having too much business. And now I'd say my concern is, is what happens next. Um, right now we're living not quite in a fool's paradise, but we're living in a situation where, I mean, we heard the, we heard the financial update, not, you know, I don't know what to call it, not the financial update, but you know, the, 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 the declaration, the snapshot. Thank you. Thank you. The declaration of, of this huge amount of money. And we all knew this, you know, you could just do your own addition. 
um, the federal government and the provincial governments have pumped a huge amount of money into the system. And I, I think it was absolutely the right thing to do, but it can't go on forever. And so right now, business is booming for us, which mean, which is good news for Canada, because it means all these innovative companies are continuing to innovate. Um, what happens in the fall? What happens in the winter? I mean, I think everybody is now realizing and our neighbors to the south are proving it beyond a reasonable shadow of a doubt that the pandemic hasn't gone away. Um, that that if the economy, if we pretend that the economy can go back to the way it was last December, you know, we're all going to get sick. Yeah. So we're in this sort of long haul. And, um, you know, my tax is very concerned about preserving uh, the innovation economy in Canada. Well, yeah, it, it is interesting that one of the areas that hasn't apparently at least suffered economically has been the knowledge sector, right? The knowledge, the knowledge economy is actually doing reasonably well in all of this. There's a lot of other manufacturing areas and so on that, that are really in, in dire straits. So what does that tell you about how the country might be using this period wisely in order to try to do slightly more pivoting toward it and slightly more um, incentives in order to do so? Well, I, I mean, we speak, I speak from a position of bias, obviously. I'm a, I'm a big believer in uh, highly skilled people doing, you know, the best innovation they can. I think that's the future for the Canadian economy. Um, we know very well that the Canadian economy has not been very innovative. It's not, it's been based on on a supply chain with our big neighbors to the south. Well, of course, with the the sort of political developments uh, south of the border, that's that's been put under constant threat. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, you know, when we discovered that uh, we couldn't rely on international supply chains necessarily for, for critically important uh, things like personal protective equipment and stuff like that, that was a bit of a wake-up call for Canada. Um, in other words, we can't rely on others for our prosperity. Um, and so I think I'm a big believer that, that the government and, and industry for that matter needs to do whatever it can to support, you know, true innovation. Um, yeah. that's not just based on, on how do we produce things faster for, for others, you know, and also paying attention to the, to international markets beyond South of the border. Um, it, we, uh, it's a very large discretionary fund, uh, that the federal government has around innovation. I think it's probably the second largest discretionary field of spending, uh, mm -hmm. after defense, right? So, how, so are we learning anything in this, again, in this period about how we maximize the return on that, how, how we, you know, make sure it's not, um, it's not spending that, that is, is assisting everybody but ourselves, you know? Well, I think one of the keys is, is a balance in what gets supported. I mean, I think it is critical uh, to support the sort of fundamental um, discovery-based research, which is what the granting councils do and, and what a lot of the work at universities is. But at the same time, to support, um, you know, truly innovation-based uh, research and development. And, and by that, I mean, you know, solutions to real problems, um, not, not sort of solutions to imaginary problems. 
Mm-hmm. So I think I think the key, and and this is certainly the way that we behave, the key is partnerships, making sure that um, it's it's not a knowledge transfer all the time, where knowledge gets created somewhere and transferred somewhere else for hopefully an application, but it's a knowledge mobilization where where a, a partnership truly means that that both sides are learning from one another. You know that, and in this specific example of universities and industry, but it's not restricted to that. You know that universities truly understand what the industrial problem is, and industry takes full advantage of the knowledge that's available in universities to solve that problem. Um, and that's not always been the model for these sorts of things. No, but does that require that that there be a, a practical application of almost everything that's worked on as a partnership, or or can there still be some room for you know for for exploration? Oh no, I think there has to be room for exploration, and that's and that's. Uh, that's research is all about i mean uh, academic research largely is is about this sort of discovery where you're not really sure what's going to be the result i I think that we have to keep that going and the government does invest very very generously and i mean i come from a uh, i'm a researcher myself or i'll use the past tense i was a researcher myself i was you know vp research at university of british columbia so i you know was was responsible for a very large uh, academic research enterprise. And I really respect the value of that. And, you know, Canada doesn't do badly in supporting uh, frontline academic research. It could always do better, but, but it doesn't do badly. I think where Canada falls down is in making the connection between the brain power we have in universities, which is formidable, and the needs of, of industry, not-for-profits, and frankly, even government. You know, there's a lot of brain power out there, and I don't think there's a lack of willingness um, for most academic researchers to help out. But you know, they don't have the connections. They don't. They don't. Uh, you know, they're busy people, and so somebody needs to help them discover what the issues are that they might be able to address. What's your uh, speculate if you can for a minute here? Uh, the the advance of remote work and uh, its seeming permanence has led us to believe a couple of things. One is that you, um, first of all, we're we're not really traveling as much as we're, uh, you know, as as we have, um, and we're unlikely to travel as much in the future uh, for a while. Yet the, the other concern is that uh, somehow, you know, we're we're not necessarily going to keep all of this talent working remotely for Canadian purposes that, mm. uh, you know, you, you're going to have people now that, that can frankly work for Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley would be very happy to have you up here in British Columbia, uh, work for them. So, uh, is there a strategy that, that you, you can speculate on that might <laughs> to do a bit of that? That might be above my pay grade. Um, I mean, yes, it is. You know, there's a it's it's there's two sides to the coin. I mean, one of the wonderful things, um, you know, I was on a, a discussion, a roundtable discussion with the Business Council of British Columbia organized about, you know, the, the crisis in in the knowledge industry, in fact. And somebody pointed out that, well, you know, you can live in Nelson and still work for a, a high tech Vancouver company. And that's great because it's cheaper to live in Nelson. And, you know, maybe some people would view it as more pleasant. It's very true. Um, but you could also live in Nelson and work for somebody in Santa Clara. You know? yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you're right. I think, I think the key is to 
create the interesting and challenging jobs and well-paid jobs in Canada that will keep people. I mean, the reason, you know, people go to Silicon Valley, not necessarily because it's the, you know, the climate's better. They go there because they get paid more. They have access to a higher level of problems. Uh, you know, if you're in something data science related, well, Google has all the data, so why not work for them? So I think I think the need is to create larger, more interesting companies in Canada that will keep people in Canada. I mean, I can't blame talented young people if they think that they're going to get paid a lot more and do more interesting things in Silicon Valley. Well, they they should go. You know, there's yeah. nothing nothing preventing them. There goes the intellectual property as well, right? At times. Oh, absolutely. No, and there's and and that's that's a huge challenge in Canada is, is, you know, are we developing intellectual property for, you know, big American companies? Hmm. Um, some of that's inevitable. I mean, you know, the world is, the world is hopefully going to remain an open place and intellectual property will flow around, but it sure would be nice to, to reverse the flow and have intellectual property coming up from the United States. Yeah. Let's imagine uh, that. It, it, for the time being, it is imagining. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, last question, and, and maybe it is too soon to, to speculate on this part for yourself, but you know, can you see a different MyTax emerging as the pandemic goes along that will have some permanence to it? Well, one of the it's we're actually discussing with our with our friends in government exactly that. I mean, the federal funding um, was an increase for one year only. And so my tax is ramping up to deliver 17,000 internships this year. And we think we're going to get there. We're fairly confident. Mm -hmm. um, so next year, do we go back to 10? You know, that's that's what our funding guaranteed funding is for next year is is on order of 10,000 internships. So we hope to remain big. We think there's a lot, we know there's a lot more demand out there. Even, even in the current economic crisis, we're seeing a lot of demand. Um, I think there's a need to do more of these sort of innovation-based internships. Absolutely. And so my tax hopes to get bigger because I think there's a lot of work to be done and it's, it's, you know, necessary work. And it's not just simply my tax own expectation. Do you believe also that business now uh, is going to come to a different conclusion about what it requires in order to develop uh, skills in its workforce and innovation in its place uh, with the support of government? Is there a, a bit of a, a movement of business toward uh, more of a, you know, a, a government involvement in, in that economy? I think a government, a government encouragement and involvement in the sense of, of providing um, you know, targeted funding for things. I think yes, business uh, business in Canada. One of the reasons for for lack of innovation is business in Canada tends not to not to utilize the talent that's available. Again, getting back to why do people go to Silicon Valley? Well, because there's a demand for them in Silicon Valley that may not exist in Canada. Mm. And so I think for businesses to realize that, you know, people with more advanced training from the universities actually can be very innovative, can be very useful. And, and one of the, one of the, we always consider it a triumph at, at MyTax when we work with a small and medium enterprise that would never, ever imagine that they could use a PhD. And they take one on as a, as an intern because, you know, it's subsidized, it's, it's short term, it's low risk. And they discover that 
you know, people with PhDs can actually solve real life problems. And then they decide to hire a PhD. And we've seen that again and again, where, where companies recognize that there's really a value in having really smart people working for them. You know, yeah. that they're not just academic researchers who all want to be professors. And I, we are moving toward an era where that, those high skills are going to be even more in demand. There's no question about that. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, Canada, you know, the the sad thing for Canada is that we're really, really good at producing these. I mean, there's a reason why international students from around the world come to Canada. Our universities are fabulous. You know, we've got so many top rated universities in Canada. So we don't have a talent shortage. We've just got a demand shortage. And, and that's, you know, we would like to reverse that at my tax. We'd like, we'd like there to be a desperate undersupply of talent in mm. Canada so that we don't lose people to Silicon Valley. Yeah. Well, John Hepburn, CEO, Chief Scientific Director at uh, MyTax. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for your help today. Thank you very much for your interest. It's been fun. You've been watching the BIV Daily Podcast. I'm Kirk Point. We'll see you again. <laughs>